At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. so brave so brave I mean has anyone recently just come right up to you and said you know Clarence I, I just 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 want to say it Clarence I really do you're brave I mean the way you hang in I mean in spite of the obvious handicaps and you know what they say about you. You hang in there. You just hang in and by God, bravery in the end. I'm, I'm convinced of it, aren't you? Of course. <laughs> Give me a little background music for this one, Alvin, please. <laughs> I'm convinced of it that bravery in the end is <laughs> the only thing that counts. Yeah, of course it ain't whether you're successful or not, right? And I'm sorry to hear about what happened to you, Clarence, but um, what the hell, it's... Remember, Clarence, it's probably only for the best. 
I mean, you know, those guys, they never appreciated you. No way, no way. And you couldn't have gone any place in that outfit with a bunch of boobs and knaves and idiots. Chowder heads running that outfit. And I want to tell you this, Clarence. Every guy I ever knew it had got canned the way you got canned. <laughs> every guy I ever knew. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. Remember Howie? Gee. Howie got canned, and what's he doing now? Why, look at him. He's bronzed and tanned. He looks great. And, uh, of course, all that time he spent standing in the line over there at the unemployment office with the sun beating down on him has given him that tan. But look at how much healthier he looks. And after all, what is work? Is it everything? Is it everything, Clarence? Nah. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, Clarence, uh, glad I run into you. Give me a call sometime at the office. Yeah, just call me sometime for lunch. Just uh, give your name to my girl and we'll... We'll get together sometime, right, Clarence? No, I'm, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't have time for a drink right now. I'm on my way over to a meeting in the Pan Am building with the Y&R crowd. But uh, just give me a call at the office, yeah. We'll get together. <laughs> it's good to see you, Clarence. By the way, Clarence, you, I, you look like you lost a little weight. Looks good on you. Oh, come on, for God's sakes. Come on, man. It's the best thing that could have happened to you, Clarence. Just be brave, Clarence. Everybody at the office is still talking about how you, you know, you went out uh, you went out with your head up. My God, you're a legend back at the office. In fact, uh, all of us guys was talking around the water cooler the other day. You remember, you remember Max? By the way, they, they put him in your own slot. <laughs> he won't be able to handle it. <laughs> anyway, Max is, my God, Clarence went out with his head up. And that I'll say for him. Just thought you ought to know the boys are looking back on you. Great deal of respect. That's what you got, Clarence. Respect. You'll get a job. Don't worry about that. I'll come. Uh, don't worry about it. By the way, is your wife still sick? Oh, that's too bad. Let me see. Did they ever find your kid? He's village, huh? Uh, you know, they say that methadone's pretty good. Yeah, you know. So everything's going to turn out for the best points. I'll see you, buddy. Yeah, so long, buddy boy. Yeah, give me a call. I just want you to blow that thing good. Yang, all together. Let's join us in. This here. Just march around the, march around the table there and sing about Clarence. The day that he went down the air chute. Bullard blew the whistle. Thank you. Very good. Wasn't that a scary little skit there? <laughs> yeah, Clarence moment. Uh, you know, uh, speaking, you know, no wonder Clarence was booted out on his thing there. No question about it. You know, everywhere I, you know, everywhere I go, I go into the diner the other day, and guy says to me, I'm sitting there at the diner, and he says, oh, Lace, you know, they don't have good short order cooks anymore. Look at that. Look at that slob over there. Guy doesn't even know how to make a hamburger. I said to him, well, now, I presume you do. Just listen. When I was going to school, I worked as a short order cook. And I want to tell you, I could handle 15 guys on the stools, nine booths. I could handle four guys out in the parking lot and still make the scene with the chick who was working on the... working on the oven and back... In, the, in between time, he says, he used to make a great hamburger. Ain't no, have you seen that myth going around lately? 
that nobody knows how to do their job anymore. Have you heard about that myth? Oh, sure you have. Well, I guess you don't want to admit that, but uh, that's one myth you don't want to talk about, eh? Uh, well, uh, I would... <laughs> you mean you haven't heard people say, oh, come on, they don't... Uh, garage mechanics, that bum down there, he doesn't know anymore. You've heard that. Every, there's a consistent belief around now that everybody, you know, nobody knows his job. Nobody does a good job. Oh, except, of course, the speaker, who is fighting against the ne fantastic odds due to the fact that he's so basically... Uh, filled with integrity and talent and all that stuff that he's continually fighting against a great sea of ineptitude and uh, chicanery and lassitude. And he alone is standing there holding up the banner in a sinking ship. You've heard this many times, of course. Well, you know, there may be something to it. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible to hear some, 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 some uh, you know, re actual, uh, you know, professions you think guys are good at. For example, listen to this one. I've, I just, I've been collecting little clippings to show the decline of Western man. Now, uh, when, when something declines, it does not only decline in one area. Like, you know, think the decline of... You heard the term, the decline of the West, right? Sure you have. Well, what do you think that means? Do you think that means that the politicians get to be crooks or something like that? And everything falls down or the houses start to fade away or, or uh, the birds take over? What? No, it means that everything declines. Things you don't even think about. For example, listen to this one, Pittsburgh. Now, what group of people do you think you would generally think are good at what they do? Wouldn't you think that the guys that are involved in crime would be pretty good at it? Somehow that seems like a, a, a field that you would accept as, as a, some talent is involved. Judge Jerome McCormick had some words of advice for a man he convicted recently on burglary charges. And we quote the judge. You make an exceptionally rotten burglar, Judge McCormick told 24-year-old guy E.B. Turney Bertini of Pittsburgh, and I quote, You have been caught twice in cars. That should convince you that besides being illegal, and I've got to be honest with you, son, right now, burglary is not your field. You're not good at it. Well, now that's good advice. <laughs> There's a judge telling him. He's not being moral. He's not throwing any moral things. He just says, you're not very good. You know, if you're going to be a rip-off artist, be good. You're just not good at it. You're going to have to try something else, kid. And that's that's kind of sad. Now, did you see a piece recently? In the, it's, it's in the journal, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and and it's, it's getting to be so, it's getting to be such a rampant thing, bad amateur burglars and bunglers in the whole world of crime, that now it's getting the attention of the national press. Listen to this. It says, Amateurs are now giving bank robbers a bad name by blowing jobs everywhere. In fact, you know, the bank robber used to be the big timer. He was, he was like the... He was in the bigs. He was the biggies. When he would arrive in, in Leavenworth, <laughs> obviously he made a mistake, but when he would arrive in Leavenworth, he would be pointed out as, you know, he's a big timer. He's not a guy that's sitting around in his basement kiting checks. He's not a guy that's stealing hubcaps. I mean, he's not he's not walking around grabbing handbags from little old ladies. He is making a major heist, right? All right. But today it is becoming quite the opposite. And I don't know whether you saw this piece, and I want to bring it up. I just have to bring this up as, as, as an example of the decline of the West. I hate to see it. Now, a lot of people say that's uh, good. No, I hate to see that even in a field where talent is required to get involved, 
it is beginning to fail. Now listen, some days nothing goes right in the bank robbing business, especially when amateurs, such as today, are becoming involved in it. Now if you know anything about the history of bank robbing, you know that a guy like Dillinger, who robbed banks, by the way, would spend months preparing a heist. You know, they did, they even went to the point Dillinger, most people think Dillinger is a great romantic character, but what Dillinger used to do was plan a, a job the way most guys work on their Ph.D. theses. They would spot the place, then they would drive every route out of the bank to begin with, every conceivable route the way you could get away from it, and time it down to the second. We have to be at 21 minutes past 3 at the corner of 7th and Elm. Absolutely. Because if we are not, kids get out of school across the street at 23 minutes past 3, and block the road, and we're going to get caught there. <laughs> so they knew every possible, they knew everything about it. They would spend months just looking at the scene over. Then they would, they would, they would go into the bank. You see, several. They would, they would uh, be, you know, dressed like regular businessmen. So they go into the bank, and they would look at various tellers to see which one looked nervous. See what what one would be doing at say three fifteen. This one would be making up the change. And uh, this one would be getting a drink of water. This one always went out for a cup of coffee at this time. And they knew exactly where he went. They had somebody watching him. And they, they, they would even take cars. They would test cars. Do you know how they did? They, they, would t they would find out what kind of squad cars the town used and find out whether their car... And they would race cars. They would get a, a model just like that and race these two different cars to find out the weaknesses of the car they were using. So it was a real complicated deal. I mean, when Dillinger walked in there, he knew what he was doing right from the word go. So here's what happened. Now, you hear what's happening to our time? Listen to this. Can you imagine Dillinger hearing this? Listen. Robert, Southern California, who strolled into a Bank of America branch, a big branch, California, handed the teller a note. Okay, that's not, not good, right? Except for one thing. You know what the note read? Milk, loaf of bread, pick up laundry. <laughs> he handed him the wrong note. The puzzled teller returned the note. He handed it back. At which point, the bandit whipped out a gun. But the teller noticed it had water dripping from the barrel. <laughs> it was obviously a water pistol. <laughs> Recalls a Bank of America man. So the teller hit the alarm. You notice an alarm by his foot. Bang. He hits the alarm. The would-be bed that tore out. I mean, he raced out, see, and leaped into his car. It did not start. Now, there you go. No wonder our country's in trouble. I mean, from the days of Dillinger to this clown. And... Uh, <laughs> Don't don't just laugh. This is the truth. There's a guy who, who who was working on it. He walked into a Bank of America. I mean, that's a pretty big outfit. And they go on to say that's what happens when you send a man, a boy, to do a man's job. And it's also the kind of thing that is happening increasingly in the world of bank holdups. And really big-time holdup op operators are becoming very concerned that their entire image is becoming one of a joke. <laughs> They're really bugged. They haven't. Listen, don't you realize that a guy like Dillinger had had very definite professional standards and furthermore professional pride. And and they used to sit around 
that uh, there, are, there are published accounts of Dillinger and his crowd sitting around reading about other guys' bank robberies, purely from a technical standpoint, and, 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 uh, and, and commenting on them, and uh, putting them down, and uh, it's, oh, God, <laughs> when, will, when will Babyface ever realize that his business is not bank robbery? Look at that. <laughs> and they'd sit there and they'd discuss the whole thing, and, and uh, they, they used to actually review each other. You know what? Another thing that uh, they used to do, this is WOR in New York, in case you're curious, speaking of, I mean, uh, WOR in New York. You know what they used to do, among other things? Uh, <laughs> after a robbery would be pulled, and they've, they've completed the, 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 the job. And they um, are now in the hideout. You know, they, they'd have this all set. This is all prepared. They didn't just run and hide in a place. They had the hideout all prepared. They would change cars so they couldn't be recognized. They made sure that the car that they had looked very much like two or three cars that were seen in that town. They never drove a car that, that, looked, uh, that could be easily identified. Uh, there were all kinds of subtle things. They e you know how, how far they even went? They even went to the, to the extent of being very careful of the kind of tread they used on their tires so that the tread was not particularly distinctive. Right? And, and, and they, they even went to, to some, some extent, uh, sometimes in some of these robberies, of taking the tires where, where they used on the, on the job. They'd go like mad down a gravel road and something. They'd make two or three quick turns, pull into a, a, a little glade in the woods, and change the tires completely. And then they had a place where they would stash the tires they'd used. They'd throw them in a river or something, so that as they drove out, the car was a different, uh, different tires, making a different track. Uh, this is the kind of uh, kind of techniques they used. They even went to the extent sometimes of of taking cars, and and uh, like in 20 minutes, changing the color of the car. But there was an example of of one of the robberies that uh, one of the big gangs of the period, where they had painted the car. Very interesting little side issue. They had painted the car with a, a washable paint. It was painted like, say, a bright blue. Everybody recognizes a bright blue car. They wanted to make sure that you knew it was blue. And it was, it was beautifully done. It was washable paint. They blown, they were roaring down the street after they made their getaway in this bright blue car, backing through the woods and up and down. And they, they had it all plotted which way, which direction the, the, the uh, police would be coming from. And they, they quickly pulled into a garage, which had all been set, of course, before. Pulled into a garage real quickly with this spray of hot water. Sprayed the paint off completely. Dried it off, drove on, and now they've got a black car. <laughs> I mean, a fantastic scene. The, 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 real, the real bank robber. So, you know, uh, that, you, you can't imagine them doing that these days. The guys just, uh, everything is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's going the way of... Uh, you know, the garage mechanics, they don't work on it. And by the way, speaking of cars, you have that Toyota spot. How about hitting the ding-dong there? It's a good little car. The difference between what you pay for our economy car and what you pay for some other economy cars isn't just the price. It's what you get for the price. Even on the lowest-priced Toyota, you get at no extra cost front disc brakes, white wall tires, wheel covers, and tinted glass. You get reclining bucket seats, nylon carpeting, a glove box, a flow-through ventilation system, and about 20 other extras. Now, figure you get all that on the Toyota Corolla 1200 sedan for just $1,956. 
That's the manufacturer's suggested retail price, not including freight, local taxes, dealer prep, and options. And you'll begin to see the real difference between our price at 1956 and their price, whatever it is. Yeah, see your Toyota dealer, hardtop, station wagons. They got a complete line, sedans, the whole business. Thank you, Al. Good cars. Uh, let's see, we have... Uh, flying birds. It's bird time. I have a whole collection. Look at this, Alvin. This is a collection of unsolicited testimonials from people who've written all over the country with tears in their eyes. There are tear-stained letters here, really. People who have bought flying birds. I'm listening to the show here. You want to hear what one guy says? Listen, uh, let's see. Oh, here, here. He says, I thought you would like to see a few letters from bird believers. He says, obviously, Shepard could not be wrong, but I was astounded to discover that my bird not only flew, it is an incredible and a totally deeply satisfying psychic experience to see my bird take out over the yard. It says, we suspect that there's a tiny miniaturized Gene Shepard inside every flying bird. <laughs> oh, man. He says, keep them flapping, Dad. And uh, so if you don't know anything about these flying birds, they are really they are really a gas or movie. I'll tell you, they are fun, though, all, all jesting aside. And for three ninety eight, I think you'll get more fun out of this thing than you'll get out of a lot of things that I know of for three ninety eight. And they, they come in two styles. There's the regular flying bird. If you don't know what I'm talking about, these birds are 16 inches in wingspan. And... Uh, and have you seen it, Al? Did I, didn't you see? I thought you saw one. I brought one up here. And they're an ornithopter. Now, that's the thing to remember. These are not bird whistles or anything like that. This is a bird. It really does fly. And it doesn't fly on the end of a string or a stick or anything like that. And it's a little crank in the back. And for years, you know, it's been a, a, many, many years, people have been trying to build a machine that would fly like a bird. Now, there was an aircraft that flies by flapping its wings. And that, that if, if such a machine existed, it would be called, and is called, an ornithopter. Well, this is what it is. It's a guy in France, spent three years inventing this thing, working on it. And it's uh, based on the Leonardo da Vinci drawings, beautiful drawings of birds, of an ornithopter, in fact. And just crank this baby up and let it go, and she'll fly. She'll go 40, 50 feet in the air and just fly. I mean, just goes. It looks exactly like a bird when it's flying. It's It looks like a bird, too. It's not just a... A little gimmick. It's beautiful, and it's rugged, and it comes with uh, a set of uh, extra rubber bands in case you wind it up too much or something like that, and a little tool to put them in, and it's nothing to put it together. Just whip it out of the box and snap the wings, and they fit into a socket, and you're in business. Now, they come in two styles. There's the yellow one, yellow, brown, orange, and these are feather pattern. It's a pretty bird. It's a sort of a copy of the uh, Da Vinci drawings, even to the brown coloring. And the other one is a white dove. It's white with gold trim on it. It's a, a sort of a peace type dove. It's a beautiful thing. And they cost three ninety eight. New York State uh, residents have to add a little tax to that. And that's uh, three ninety eight. Postage paid. Send a check or money order to Flying Birds. That's B U R D S. Flying Birds. Department S. And I presume you can spell S. Post Office Box one nine zero nine. Grand Central Station, New York, New York. Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box, 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. Check each one. Don't make the check out to me. Make it out to Flying Birds. And we have Book Find with us here. Book Find Club. And uh, 
you know what the book find club is a very famous club and they're they're offering a lot of great books and uh they are they're looking for new members and the book find club is offering a beautiful reference book great reference book called atlantic brief lives which is regularly fifteen dollars carries over a thousand biographies of important artists all around the world and it's a great book and they're they're uh, whipping this thing out on you uh, if you will join to get your fifteen dollar volume of atlantic brief lives for only one dollar and this thing goes for fifteen bucks only one dollar if you join the book find club uh... they'll send you one for a dollar plus postage and handling if you'd like to find out about it call ox seven one five three five and the book find club of course has uh, it's a special book club of uh... exceptional literature from around the world and you only have to buy two books in a year to remain a member of the book find club so if you'd like to find out don't don't uh, just give them a call right now on the phone ox seven one five three five ox seven one five three five or you can send your name and address don't send dough to book find wor new york right okay yeah you know uh now that i'm on the subject i i shouldn't really talk about that i guess uh bank robbery that's <laughs> something but you know there's uh i come from a part of the country where the bank robber uh, has has a certain place in the culture of the of the country here the bank uh, here out here crime is of a different type i mean i'm talking about the east here crime is more of the great organized mafia type and it's all more or less submerged under under uh, who knows what but the but the true bank robber is really almost always a maverick. I mean, he's a guy that comes in and and pulls a heist on the bank. See, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's quite a it's quite an operation. Well, Dillinger came from a town that was only maybe forty or fifty miles from where I grew up, and uh, of course Dillinger is a big name out there. There were other great. Uh, did you ever hear? Uh, hardly anybody knows about Dillinger's great the sidekick. Who was Dillinger's famous sidekick? Considered to be one of the cruelest men, one of the most deadly men, to ever go into the field of action crime in America. Fantastic uh, character. And very deceptive in appearance. He looked like sort of a bumpkin. He looked a little bit like a kindly, uh, you know, just a kindly bumpkin off of Hee Haw. Who was that? Did you ever hear of Red Hamilton? Very few people did. Well, Hamilton was was the was the real killer. He finally got killed on one of their jobs. But Hamilton, yeah, he got winged by somebody while they were making a getaway, and uh, he finally, you know what they did? He finally died in a car. This is how tough these birds were. Dillinger's often romanticized, but uh, he he really was a tough, mean one. And uh, when the poor guy, he's, he's their partner. He died, say, uh, in the car while they were making their getaway. He died after having. You know, fought it out. These guys were had tremendous uh, power of fighting, and he finally died. They just simply threw him out. They just wham out the window. That's all. They went on. <laughs> Tough brother. But uh, one of the things that they did, of course, the car was very important uh, in in the in the bank robber uh, world, and, and it still does remain important in crime. But the car was really important to a bank robber because the the speed with which he could get away often determined whether he got away with it. And the ability to handle, too, this car. So a specialization grew up among bank robbers, and that was the guy who was a really specialist, a fantastic specialist 
in, uh, in driving. Has it occurred to you that being a getaway car driver isn't just like driving down to Gristides or something, or, you know, the food fair? That, uh, that he was a specialist, and he became famous among gangs. And so when a gang was pulling a particularly difficult heist, they would go for this driver. He, he, and he was, he, was, he was a highly recognized talent. He could really move out of there. And uh, so there were various drivers that worked for these gangs, and of course they all had their own special cars. What kind of car was the best car for a, for a heist? And uh, what car do you think that they considered one of the great prime cars for uh, a, a truly big-time bank robbery heist? Well, I'll tell you, there were two cars. The uh, Terraplane, the Hudson Terraplane, and the other one was, was the V8 Ford, which had a reputation for a fast pickup. <laughs> and it could move. So uh, these guys were very definitely specialists in these cars. Now, one of, one of the one of the famous stories about cars was was a special car that one of the bank robbers used. I don't know what gang it was, but I'm a, I'm a I've read about a lot of these guys, and a lot of fascinating things come out. That one guy had a car that could be disguised, and he would pull into a to this garage right after the heist. See, they've prepared it ahead of time. And the car had, had had fenders and even had wheel mounts and stuff that came off. It just ding, ding, ding. They snapped the fenders off. They put on different kind of fenders on the, on the side of the thing. They took the trunk hood off, bung, dong, and now all of a sudden they've got a car with a, with a spare tire. It didn't have any of this stuff before. They put on another trunk hood. It's got a spare tire on the back, all different color, of course. And, and now all of a sudden he's driving out in another colored car. Like that. Well, the question would be, well, why don't doesn't he uh, go out and get himself another car? You know, just simply have two cars. Well, they often did that, but there were problems in that. Of course, uh, it would be kind of great if you could use the same car, and and if you had bought it legitimately, there was not even the problem of a, of a stolen car involved. Now there, that and so then another uh, little side issue developed in the, in the car business, and that was supplying cars to these guys. That. Uh, that they didn't just go out and steal a car. That that was didn't work because then they would be up for a petty thing. They, they didn't want to have that problem hanging over them. So these guys had various dealers that knew, of course, they were dealing with bank robbers, and these guys would buy cars through these dealers. There, was a, there were dealers that supplied bank robbers almost exclusively with their cars. And you know that there was a famous sporting goods store in the Midwest that specialized in selling them they're, uh, they're Roscoe's. That uh, this guy was famous. He was, <laughs> you know, he was like the Abercrombie and Fitch for, uh, for, uh, for gunmen. And there's a very famous story about that. Uh, that you, we, we rarely think of the technique of gunmen, you see. They, you know, when they think about it professionally, you see, they're the professional. Because we're all influenced by Breslin. See, most people think gunmen are just a bunch of guys that get in and go, oh, you know, and they shoot and the bullet goes up in the air. Oh, no, 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 no. These guys used to have the, the really big mobs. They had rifle ranges. They had pistol ranges. They would work out on it. These guys would work for hours until, you know, days until they were really good shots. They, they knew what they were doing. And uh, they, they could pop a tire of a squad car at 200 yards going 70 miles an hour. And they weren't just a bunch of bunglers. So one of the things that happened is a very famous incident. When uh, when the Al Capone was trapped, I, d I think I told the story, didn't I? Well, I'll tell it to you then, just show you how technical and minded these guys were and how cool they were. That that, that Al Capone was trapped one time in a in a uh, restaurant 
right in the middle of the afternoon, a famous restaurant where he hung out in uh, the west side of Chicago, in Cicero, which was where the big mobs hung, and his mob did. And there was a lot of diners in this place, see. Well, one day, he's sitting there, he's eating away, when, when all of a sudden, a, 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 a long line of cars, a, a tremendous collection of gunmen, they decided they're really going to get components, see, all the mobs. So they had ten cars, it's hard to believe, ten cars filled to the gunnels, like five guys in each car, carrying, carrying uh, artillery. And they just rolled past this restaurant, and they just blasted it. All ten cars. Boom, boom, boom. Up and down the side, sideways, the windows, the whole bit, see. Boom, boom, boom. They're going past. Well, the last car came to the end of the line. <laughs> and, of course, by that time, everybody in the restaurant is diving under the tables, the whole bit, see. And they're just blasting the home, just blasting this place. And, and the last car, the guy jumps out. Of course, it's all prepared. He jumps out, and he runs into the doorway. One of the guys. And he goes, Brap! he just rips it up and down. Up and down. And, and out he goes. He, he, he laid about 200 rounds on him, saying he went out in the car. And what do you think Capone says? Capone is laying under a table. And he's with his friend, one of the, his right-hand man, Jaime, uh, who is a famous uh, gunman, see, who was like his right-hand man, gun trigger man. Capone is laying there at the place is filled with smoke the, the front of the building is on fire they've just they just literally leveled this joint they, curiously enough not one person was killed in it that was one of the most amazing things about it he's laying on the floor and he says to Jaime his first words he says Jaime that, did you see what he had it's a fantastic gun we gotta get one like that <laughs> well yeah, and, and sure enough, there, there was a place. That's right. And, and he was he, technically he very much approved of what they had done. He said that was a very good job. Of course, it didn't work, but you know those things. So, <laughs> he uh, he uh, they went out and they got a whole bunch of these guns, which uh, were obtainable through this sporting goods store. And this sporting goods store was like an undercover. Well, it was an Abercrombie and Fitch for the mob, and uh, he'd get them all this stuff. Well, now, I did you ever see any of this stuff yourself? Any of you ever see any of that? Most people only read about, uh, you know, big-time crime. I will never forget an incident that happened to me one time. And this is not fiction. I'm going to tell you an actually true story that happened one time. And I, it happened to me. I mean, I was there. I, I, I just saw it. And I'll never forget it because it was, it was a fantastic scene. I was about, it really was a fantastic scene. I was about, oh, I guess about eight or nine, something like that. And, uh... We lived in a town, you know, had bank and had everything else around there, you know, regular, regular bank. It's a big city. It's not, not a little, don't, don't think for a minute I lived in a little tiny town. That the, that the part of, the, of, of Indiana I lived in was really part of Chicago. So there's a lot of, it's like a suburbs, all, not really suburbs even, it's part of the city, see. So, one night, I'm sent to the store. And uh, I went down to, that was a whole big thing. Every, every night I would get sent to the store. As soon as I got home from school go to the store and get the stuff for supper. My mother would have a list, and she would give me the money, and she says, don't forget that, Mr. Osserschlager, to count the change when you get it and tell him you want the summer sausage sliced thin and the whole bit. So I go to the store, just like any other day, and uh, I go into the store, and there's a lot of people in there. It's the regular store, and, and uh, the clerks are waiting on us and stuff on me, and finally I get this bag of groceries, which was all the stuff on a note. 
And now I got a whole bag. I'm holding it in my arms. It was too big to carry in one arm. So I got a whole bag of groceries. So I walk out, and by now it's about, oh, I guess it's about 5.30, quarter after 5. It was twilight, I remember. And it was in the springtime. It was uh, kind of chilly. And I walked out, and it was wet. There were, wa- there were puddles around. I remember the puddles. And I walked out on, onto the street, out of the sidewalk in front of the store. And there were a lot of buildings right along there, you see, in stores. There was, there was a hardware store and a couple of other things. And down about two or three blocks down to my right was this bank, just like any other bank. Like, you know, as a kid, I never had any relationship with a bank. It was just a bank down there, an official-looking place, and that was it. Well, I came out of this store. And I start to walk down the street. Now, I had to go about a block along this main highway, at which point it was a main street, at which point I would turn right and go down the street where we lived, which was about another two blocks down I would go, see? So I'm walking along just like any other kid, you know, there's people walking around. Well, all of a sudden, I heard a sound back of me, and it was a sudden, completely... uh, well, it was a sound, and it was a sound like you don't ordinarily hear. So you just saw what, boom, like that. Just made a sound, boom. Well, I turned around, and, and I heard some people making a few noises. And at that time, I thought it was an accident or something. I didn't think, you know, a kid isn't thinking. So I keep walking like that. Well, then I saw smoke, and everybody looked around. I heard people hollering, and sure enough, suddenly out of this bank, I saw some people running. I just saw running. Well, it's still, being a kid, I didn't think what it was, you know, I was very much just an observer. I didn't make any value. Just saw people running. They ran. With that, I hear a lot more. Then I hear boom, 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 boom. It's going like that. Boom, boom, boom. Well, at that point, people started to run past me. I hear people yelling. And above me, there was an apartment. There were a lot of apartments along there, above the grocery store and stuff. I see people looking out of the window because this is starting to attract them. Boom, boom. And and I hear a siren coming, a lot of sirens, and then it really hit the fan. <laughs> it really hit the fan. I saw a car just, there was a lot of traffic. I saw a car suddenly go screaming out. It just went, wow! You know, you can see the, the wheels just skidding, and it made a U-turn right in the middle of the street with just practically tipping over. It just went, wow! It just rocked like that, and it went it went screaming down the street towards me. It is going down. Now it's coming down towards me. See, it was way off to my right, two or three blocks, all this action. And now the guy is coming this way, see. And I can see this car roaring like mad right down the middle of the street. He's going right down. It was a two-way street. He is straddling the center line. And the car is going full blast. Even at that point, I didn't know what it was all about. You know, I just, I, I did, you know, kid looking at this thing. And, and, and then I hear more of this boom, boom, boom. And by God, I'll tell you what I saw. These guys, just like, I hate to say it, we do judge everything by movies in our lives. These guys are hanging out the window in the back of the car, uh, the side windows, and I saw these puffs of blue smoke. And still, at that point, it didn't occur to me. I just saw this going on. They were hanging out, and they were they were firing behind them. You saw this boom, 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 boom. It makes a, a strange, dull thump. And and 
there are two squad cars that have converged, and one of them's making a U-turn behind this car, and another one's come out of a side street, making a turn, and they are screaming after him. And this first car, the one with the, the the one that was shooting, just went past me so fast. It was like a blur. He just went, Mwah! and you could see this blue smoke, and these guys firing out the back, and then, wow, these two squad cars go by, and all the while, it's going, boom, 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 boom. And they disappeared. You could hear off in the distance a faint siren, and it was gone. And the people started to pour out of the stores. I mean, thousands of people were in the street. I remember cars stopping. And one thing I do remember about it, it, was, it hit me right away, was that there was a big window over on one side of the street of a, of a little department store. It was like a like a small Macy's-like, but they had a big window there, and the window in the front had mannequins and stuff. And one of these shots, apparently, had hit this window because the whole window had just caved in and then come roaring out, and the window was completely broken. You know, that would really impress a kid, the idea that the window and the store is busted, and the window was broken, the glass all came out, and these mannequins had fallen down. And I'm looking at this thing. See, the car went screaming by me. He was not more than 20 feet away from me. Well, the the, the place was in an absolute total, uh, you know, uproar. Everybody's pouring out in the streets, and people are running around. And, and uh, I saw squad cars pulling up down at the bank. And I'm plugging along. See, as a kid, you know, you, 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 often kids are very single-minded. Well, my my direction that day was I had to get home. I, I was supposed to get right home with this grocery. I had to, you know, to chop meat and I had all the stuff that was for supper. So I just keep right on going. So I saw this fantastic scene. Well, I came back home and, and I had seen this thing. And I come up into the house and I got the bag of groceries and my mother says, how come you're light, you know? And uh, I said, well, you know, it's uh, something down it. I said, well, I'm late. She said, were you playing around against you? I told you not to mess around on the way to the store. Now I'm going to be late, and your father's going to be home, and supper won't be ready. And why don't you come right home? So, well, there were some guys shooting at each other down there and all that, you know. But she said, if you don't stop lying to me, if there's anything I hate now, I don't mind you playing. All right, so I don't want you to play, but I want you to hurry, but I don't want you to lie about it. So they were shooting at each other. This is, by the way, a, a, a family story that is often told in our family. My mother says, now look, you're lying again. And don't admit it. Why did you don't admit it? You stopped down at Schwartz's house and you went out to the store and that's it. Now why don't you admit it? Uh, uh, so I, I, they were shooting. And there was a guys in the car and all that. And she's oh, shooting. Because you know there's always stories of bank robbers. They suppose they robbed the bank or something. You got to see it, huh? <laughs> well, they did, you know. And sure enough, the old man comes home. My mother still doesn't believe it. My old man comes running up the back steps that night. He comes tearing up. And uh, into the back door, and he says, Did you hear about what happened at the bank? He says, Holy smokes! A fantastic bank robbery! And they think they got one of the guys. They found blood on the sidewalk, and they chased him, and it, it looks like they got him holed up someplace in South Chicago. Fantastic! Did you see it all? You know, what, I, what about it? It was only down here. What about it? about it on the radio she turns and she says they really did rob the bank didn't they I says yeah and my my father looked at me and he says did you see it I says yeah he says what happened 
happened? What happened? <laughs> he wanted to know. I said, well, gee, that's a car in front of me. I come out of Oschenschlager's and, and I heard this thing go boomp like that. And, and I looked down. Well, for that, that was a golden moment. You know, kids are not often listened to when they got the floor. And for 15 minutes, the kid is in charge. Well, I told the story of the bank robber and how I had seen him. And they drove right past me in this, this big, dark, it was a dark green car. I had no idea what kind. It was just a dark green car. And he said, what do they look like? What do they look like? Well, I, uh, I had a hat on. This one had a hat on. What color? He had a hat. What color hat? You know, just sort of a gray hat. Well, I began to spread it. You know, I began to realize now I'm being listened to. So I told him the whole story of this bank robbery. And for months after that, whenever our family, you know, had a gathering with Aunt Glenn or someplace, they would call on me to tell about the bank robbery. It was a famous bank robber or a bank robbery had occurred. And, uh, and it's still considered a famous robbery among its time. And I think these guys got, geez, about a hundred grand, something like that. It was fantastic. It was a really big, fantastic robbery. And one of the guys was shot. Later on, the, the stories came out. He was killed. It was a famous actual bank robber gang. It wasn't an amateur thing. And I happened to see it. Well, from that time on, whenever we'd gather, you know, somebody would say, well, you know, Jeannie saw a bank robber one time. He saw a bank robber. And everybody would say, Really? Tell us about it. <laughs> and I still remember so clearly the images uh, of that robbery. I remember the car making that U-turn. I could see it in my mind. He, he made a fantastic U-turn. It looked like the guy was on two wheels. And he turned with such, well, just, just like going full speed. I don't know how he ever did it, but it looked like the car was going full speed from the time they got in it. And it just made this screaming left turn right out into the traffic, screamed around, and then passed. And all the while, the sound of this boom, 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 boom. And the thing that got me was the blue smoke drifting over the street. Great clouds of it. Yeah. This is WOR New York, and we have Lester Smith in the news coming up. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 